Welcome to the Weatherman Podcast. This is your host, Chad Stecker, and I am the Weathered Man. This is the podcast where a humbled man pleads to a broken world to listen to his eccentric thoughts concerning life, family, and the church today. And I am so excited to be back here with you for part two on the topic generational trauma with my dad, Dr. Chuck Stecker. I don't want you to wait any longer because this is probably one of the most fun episodes I've ever recorded, one of the most deep episodes I've ever recorded, and to share it with my father and for us to be transparent in this way together, it's going to be a real treat for you. I promise you that. So without further ado, as I like to say, Dr. Chuck Stecker, Generational Trauma, Part 2. All right, welcome back to part two. If you listened to part one already, um, you should be ready for part two, this second episode with Dr. Reverend, retired Lieutenant Colonel, Dad Chuck Stecker. If you haven't listened to part one, I strongly suggest you go listen to part one first. It will not, it's not a waste of time. Actually, it will, you will be benefited more than you ever could imagine. And it sets up part two and part three, like never before, of course, that's why it was part one. And so we're going to dive into something that an article that was written in 2020. So take that into context here as well, because I know we're dealing with generational trauma and you're going to, you're going to instantly think of of what our country is going through right now, racially, you're going to think of what we're going through in multiple areas, but there's the racial issue and cultural issues that of our day. I want you to know just because we're not talking about it doesn't mean we're disregarding it. We absolutely understand that there is generational trauma within the, the African-American, the black community, other minorities, other people dealing with things that whether you agree or disagree issues with family dynamic issues within different lifestyles, i.e. the LGBTQ community, stuff like that. We're not negating it. And you're going to understand in this podcast, we're not taking a stance for or against anything that is that is a cultural uh, situation right now on this podcast or in this episode. We're dealing with the trauma itself. And that way, no matter what you're going through, how you're going through, whatever your dogma or doctrine is, we can all get to the center point of, of understanding that Jesus loves us. His will for us is healing. And his goal is for our wounds not to control us, but for us to live and not forget what caused the wounds, but allow that which has happened to us in our past to make us stronger in our present so that we can create a greater future, not just for ourselves, but for others that are following us as well. So welcome back to part two, Dad, I'm so glad that we get another uh, another time and uh, with you to discuss this. And we we already acknowledged that we're going to be coming out of an article that I that I read that I really like, and I kind of surprised you on this, which is really cool because I get to put you in a fun position of just responding in the moment, which is an, <laughs> it, it really is a fun thing, especially yeah. when you're on my end of the stick, not on yours. But welcome back, Dad. It's good to have you back again today. Blessed to be here, Chad. I'm excited about what you're doing, and I'm excited about the potential impact that God can use our stories to help someone else. Mm, that's good. Well, the article, let's just dive right into it because this is going to take us a lot longer than I, I think I originally thought. Sure. The, the title was, What is Generational Trauma and How Can We Heal from It? Yes. 
I will actually add a link to this article on the, on the podcast description. So if you want to go and read this article, feel free because I'm not going to read through the entire thing. So for context purposes, if you want to go deeper, I'll, I'll add the link to everything that I post on it on Facebook, social media, and on the actual podcast platforms. But it it really is dealing with this issue of generational trauma that we're born into, but that we haven't created ourselves. And I know a lot of our culture, especially the Christian culture deals with and uses terms like generational curses, generational blessings. I really like this concept and this way of thinking about this because trauma and what we're dealing with, with physical healing, with Aeneas and different things, I think it plays in a little bit better and removes some of the, the, the misconceptions spiritually and some of the other things that we don't have time to dive into, but deal with healing from a very practical and tangible perspective. And I want to read you a portion of this. It's just, it's three paragraphs. It's the longest part that I'm going to read right now uh, in this, in this, but I want you, I want to set this up. It says, when we experience any kind of trauma, we have, we have both emotional and physical reactions. This can look like anxiety, trouble sleeping, feeling disconnected or confused, having intrusive thoughts or withdrawing from others. In children, this can look like attempting to avoid school, tummy aches, problems with sleeping, eating, anger, and showing attention-seeking behaviors. With all of those things in mind, we can now consider generational trauma which is transmitted through attachment relationships where the parent has experienced relational trauma and has significant impacts upon individual across a lifespan. And it also says, including predisposition to further trauma. And where I really want to get to is this paragraph right here. It means that we can view the psychological effects of trauma being transferred from one generation to another. Generational trauma is a traumatic event That began decades prior to the current generation and has impacted the way that individuals understand, cope with, and heal from trauma. Is this a pattern for a person's family? And how can we break this cycle? Luckily for us, this lens is becoming more and more common and has given a more serious focus than in its past. And so we deal with trauma. Let me just find trauma real quick. A deeply distressed or disturbing experience. Yes. At its core. That's what it is. It is a deeply distressing and disturbing experience. And let me give you real quick as well, the definition, the simple definition of healing, because we want context across the board. Healing that we're dealing with right now is to become sound or healthy again. That's it. That's when we're dealing, when we say healing on this podcast, this, this season, and especially this episode with dealing with trauma, we're talking about becoming sound and healthy again. And everything that concerns. So a deeply distressing or disturbing experience, which is a wide gamut. Let's bring in some a perspective from all your studies concerning generations and, and things that are passed down um, that are traumatic. We talked about your story. We talked about your story with how your dad dealt with you on how you had to, to prove yourself. It felt like every single day you had to prove yourself to be at least considered to be respected or loved. And then that affect how you lived your life. And then at the beginning, especially as a father that, that was brought into the situation with you as a husband, as a father, and as a man within the military and ministry, based off of what I just read and dealing with generational trauma, I just want you to kind of open up now and, and kind of give your perspective on what generational trauma looks like and what we can do about it. 
Sure. Well, Chad, you did give me kind of a heads up on this and I had a chance to look at some things because it, um, you know, you don't ask somebody to dive deep into the, the soul of who they are. But here's one of the things that as I looked at the trauma, they define three categories of trauma. Very often we think of trauma as this issue of a physical trauma, a broken bone or something. But listen to what they talk about from a medical, which is also psychological and so forth. They talk about acute trauma. Acute trauma is something that is a single incident. So it could be the it could be a car accident, okay, that brings about acute trauma. That right. one incident, that's acute trauma. They talk about chronic trauma. Now, chronic is something where it's the same type of an event that can that occurs over and over again. Bullying, for example, child abuse, marital abuse, domestic violence, but it's the same type of trauma that continues to occur and it becomes yes. chronic. And of course, we know the term chronic from a medical standpoint, when someone has a chronic illness, it's right. different than one that in which I had a, uh, a situation where many for 20 years, I took a medicine because of a chronic condition. And as long as I took this medicine, I was fine. But if I didn't, by the afternoon of the second day, I would have temperatures of 102 to 104. And the moment I got back on the meds, right. I was fine. That's chronic. Then they talk about complex trauma. Yes. The third yep. type of this, it's exposure to multiple different types of traumatic events that are not necessarily related in a sense, but it happens to the same person. And so when we look at these, it's not as simple as just saying, well, here's trauma, generational. Part of what you've led us to and we need to look at is people that have generational trauma. Sometimes it is an acute traumatic event that has impacted their family for generations, that one event. Then we get into the situation, and most often, in my mind, the issue you're talking about, and rightfully so, of generational trauma, it would be better referred to as chronic trauma that is passed from generation to generation. Yes. It's the same Come thing. Yeah. In a family where there is alcoholism, my family, we've experienced it from generation to generation. Now, the alcoholism, yes, it's a problem. It is the behavior that comes from the alcoholism. In the case of myself with anger, my dad with anger, yeah. and we don't know his biological, but this chronic trauma that comes from generation to generation to generation yeah. that is passed down. And it's almost like families can't survive without this trauma. It's almost what holds them together. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And they talk about women who have been in domestic abuse, how many times they go out and find themselves in a similar situation because that's what they're drawn to because of their own identity. And then, of course, the complex, you know, comes into the multiple events and, and things. So when we talk about generational, okay, trauma, from my standpoint and kind of picking up where you and I talked last week was this, this trauma of never measuring up and the resulting anger. Now, much of that was alcohol driven with my father. Okay. But it became alcohol driven for me and the same anger, this exploding. And that's the way you respond to situations, how you respond to situations, 
So in looking at this generationally with my dad, he was five foot two when he went in the Navy and came out. Only choice he had was anger, fight, fight back. And, and really, you made a comment in our first session that, you know, my dad's first remarks were a cutting remark. Mm. It was just the way he was. Okay. And I can remember that over and over again with that consistent, that's how he projected immediately. It was his defensive mechanism, right? You know, without realizing that that was his, I learned to do the same thing, this cutting down people and so forth. And the perspective of that is his characteristics of being so small in a world. And I started high school at 411. While I was capable of passing the test to start grade school at four years old, you know, at kindergarten, what did I saw it through the years? Had I waited a year, the difference that it would make in maturity levels, growth. And Chad, that's one of the reasons mom and I made the decision to give you an additional year to grow and the advantage it would give you in sports, which it right. did, the advantage it would give you driving and so forth. Absolutely. I, I was the youngest one in my high school class by two months, that aspect of it and so forth. So now we look at this and with the anger and with my dad, I think the biggest issue was that issue of never measuring up, never being good enough. I can also tell you that the fear of my dad in these anger moments, I mean, I don't seventh, eighth grade, just before my parents separated for the last time, going in the kitchen and getting a knife because mom and dad were arguing and I was afraid for her. Mm. Well, you know, in eighth grade to walk into the room with a knife, you know, and threaten your dad, you, you gotta, if you're going to grab a weapon, you have to be able to know how to use it. And all I knew was I was going to defend her. And it turned out that it was dad coming at me and mom stepping in to defend and seeing what was happening in that moment and anger. And I can, I can tell you the house and the situation sitting on the couch as my dad was in this rage and I literally sided with mom. Dad, I gotta, the, I gotta interrupt you real quick. Yeah. All right, and we're going to throw this on my podcast right now. But uh, if y'all know, uh, if you don't know, Part of my story, part of my story concerning generations is Tanya and I have a, a, a an adopted son named Tyler, and he's he's mid twenties, and he and his significant other just had their second baby just now, and I got a picture sent to me. He says, "Welcome oh to my gosh. the world, absolutely gorgeous." I'm ecstatic, and so I just wanna I just wanna throw a shout out to to Tyler and Tiffany on how amazing of parents they are and how hard they're working for their baby girls. So congratulations. Wow. What is their, what is their baby girl's name? Did Taylor. Name? Taylor. Oh my gosh. So they have Layla Rose and then Taylor. And so with that, I think it's a good segue dad, as we, as we go into this is that I did mention generationally what grandpa first said to me, but I yeah. did not mention on purpose because I knew we were going to go here in the second session was that the very last thing he ever said me with tears in his eyes was I love you. Yeah. And anybody that knew him before his seventies probably would not believe that those three words could ever come out of his mouth and he mean it. Yes. And, and so we, we've, we've seen that and I've seen what you have talked about and we're, when we talk about generational trauma, I think a lot of the generational struggle is not the trauma itself sometimes, but 
how we react to it. And I watched that even though our trauma might be different, i.e. how your dad treated you, you and I, how you treated me early on and, and how we've learned to grow in this, how I've treated my children may look a little different. The trauma might come out a little different, but yeah. it doesn't mean it's still not evident. And what I'm suggesting is, is I never really had to fight. Courtney and I fought a little bit, but I always avoided that because the behemoth of a boy he was. I joke that he was two years younger than me and I took his hand-me-downs. And I'd never backed away from a fight ever outside of the house. And really the only time I really had to fight was seventh grade going into a new middle school. And that was that first semester. But other than that, I never really had to throw fists. I never really had to throw down except at home with Courtney and Courtney and I about once a year would throw down and mom would just let it happen. Cause she knew she let us throw down. We might have a couple bruises and a couple marks, but we'd be best of friends right after. Right. And uh, this is not parenting tips 101. This is just the facts. And I knew no matter what fight could ever happen outside of the house, it was nothing like my dad and my brother. <laughs> you know, what I, mean? I would rather fight anybody outside of the house than fight you or Courtney, right? And you always were good about backing down, especially older. And I, I'd even at times pick a fight, all that stuff. But I watched my son a couple of weeks ago. One of my sons he and I were talking about something and I wasn't even upset. I was a little, you know, kind of disappointed in an action, not in who he is. And I went to go give him a hug and grab him by the back of the head and just bring him into my chest. And as he saw my hand, he flinched. Ow, I've never laid a hand on my son neck up, right? We can talk about spanking or we can talk about different things in the right context. I have never swung at my son. I've never even gotten close to swinging at my son. I've never even gotten close. I mean, I'm, there's been nothing above the neck, right? I might flick a shoulder or something, right? But never for that reaction. And as I was preparing for this gener generational trauma, it got me thinking that we're passing down more than what just necessarily happened to us. There is something that is happening supernaturally or psychologically in the generations that would make him feel like a flinch in that moment. And as I looked into his eyes, I saw me. And if you know this son that I'm talking about, he is me. I, I looked at him in the eyes and I said, son, have I ever hit you? And he goes, no. And, and I go, why did you flinch? And he goes, your eyes scared me. See, it wasn't the hand that scared him. It was my eyes. Mm -hmm. And in that moment of anger and frustration, I'm pretty sure my eyes look like what your eyes looked to me. Yeah. And what yeah. your dad's eyes looked to you. That it yeah. might have come out him beating you and, and, and you never, I don't remember ever where you, but look, you were six, four and a half and army ranger strong, right? There's just something a father represents and, and how he carries himself. And I'm probably the smallest boned and, and smallest. I'm the run of the litter when it comes to men in our family. My son said something so profound. It rocked me to my core. What brought him fear had nothing to do with my hand coming up to his head. Even though I was coming for a gentle moment, my eyes said, I'm going to get you. And yeah. I was like, that is the generational trauma that our family has kind of passed down that I didn't realize until that moment. That it was something I 
don't know I could have realized until that moment. If he wouldn't have said that, I wouldn't have realized. And that we have to be more, more, have more perspective and have more of an intent to figure out generational scars, wounds, trauma, curses, however you want to put it, so that we can then shift it and change it forever. And it leads me to a second part on this, in this article. It says, when we think about history, there are many groups that come to mind that have been affected by generational trauma, such as descendants of the United States enslavement, Native Americans, refugees, those that have experienced substance misuse across generations, those who have survived childhood abuse or neglect, and family members of Holocaust survivors, just to name a few. But it goes much deeper than that. And one of our jobs in therapy is to help our clients experience what is known as felt safety, which is an empathetic relationship based on the therapist or the, 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 the counselor's unconditional acceptance of the individual's thoughts, feelings, and experiences. Relationship, empathy through relationship that you give unconditional acceptance of that generation or the other person's thoughts, feelings, and experiences, I believe that is the beginning process of healing generational trauma. Chad, I agree with you. And there was things that you said, obviously, with your son saying it was your eyes. And I, you had me processing all of that and agreeing, you know, in terms of Dad, and you made the comment too that, you know, and I started thinking back through as you were saying it that in terms of fighting, it was in the seventh grade, of course, new school and that. And I thought, holy cow, you know, I went to one school for first for kindergarten, another school for first grade, another school for second grade. And then we talked about that splitting, you know, and so forth and having to fight your way into that. And there was a, an acceptance of that. And there was there was two thoughts that came to mind two experiences on the generational piece of this. And in one of those, I was uh, in fifth grade. My dad was the baseball coach. We had just enough guys on the team. And one was from our couple from our old school and there. And uh, of course we had a pitcher named Beanie, which kind of told you a lot about his control. Um, (laughs) But he and I had gotten together and snuck into this yard where they had a cherry tree and a ripe cherries on it. And we had climbed a branch and the weight of it, we broke the branch. Okay. And we took off running. I mean, just broke a big branch off of a cherry tree and we took off running. Well, we get two days later to go to the baseball game and everybody's there, but Beanie and dad called Beanie's mom and said, is he, you know, he's not here. And she said, he's not playing baseball. And I want to know why your son's playing baseball. And he goes, Oh, okay. You want to explain this? Well, she kind of lays out that. Yeah. So the neighbor had seen us both recognized him, called his mom and he's grounded. My dad takes me into the bedroom and he said, okay, here's what happened. But about it. And I said, okay. He says, here's your choice. You can take a, a whooping and play baseball or not take a whooping and don't play baseball for two weeks. I said, okay, that's a simple decision for me. And I go, baseball's never meant that much to me. Bad answer. (laughs) So what happened on that afternoon was over the bed, pants down with a belt, I got my butt whipped for what I had done. Uh, I mean, he said, that's fine. You won't play baseball. So now I didn't play baseball. Then I got my butt whipped for being a coward. That was the other part since mm. I wouldn't take the beating like a man in fifth grade. Yeah. Right. So then I didn't get to play baseball and I got the, and I got whipped 
in the process. Right. And so you, you kind of go. And I, I think I've told you this story in fifth grade, every year you had to break in, you know, what's it going to take to prove yourself, you know, until I had seventh and eighth grade with the same group of guys in the same school and played sports. And then we all kind of lived together. I had never experienced that for more than a year. And I remember going to fifth grade and it was me, my sister, brother, Carl, and we would drop Kurt off at the daycare. And then the three of us would go. And my first day of school there, I sat there and none of the guys would talk to me. There's 14 guys in the class mm. and we carried our lunch in a bag. Nobody talked to me, go to recess. Nobody talks to me. Finally on the recess in the afternoon, the break, one of the guys came up and said, meet us at this parking lot. It was one block up and it was buildings on three sides, true cinder block. And, uh, so I go there and my brother and sister waited on the sidewalk and they formed a circle. And what they had been doing is they had been discussing where I fit in the class based on who I could whip and who could whip me. And so I stepped into the circle and they, they pegged me right in the middle. And so the deal was you would fight up until you lost or you would fight down until you won. And so that would establish that you, you know, you beat the guy below you and you lost to the guy above you. That wow. determines your rank in class. I fought seven fights with my brother and sister on the sidewalk watching seven fights. I fought and got to the number one guy in the class. Now this is fifth grade and he goes, okay, we'll fight with knives. And I go, you know what? Me and you can run this class. I'm good. <laughs> I'll be number two. I'm a, I'm a good number two guy. You're obviously a number one guy. I think the two of us can run this class. He said, okay, that's the way it is. And so for the rest of that year and sixth grade in that class, I was the number two guy and it was clear. No, but I fought seven fights in one day in a circle in order to mm -hmm. get there. And that was just a manner of doing business when you, yeah. when you go, you know, you go in. Now, going to the seventh grade in that, but it reminds me of what you said. Well, my dad was the same way. Every place he went into, it was like he had to fight his way in yeah. to determine his position and so forth. And that was kind of embedded in me, you know, be ready to fight your way in. My dad always said, you got to fight him once. If you don't fight him once, they're always going to be on you. Win or lose, even if you get beat, if you fight him once, they won't fight you again. In my wow. freshman year in high school and halfway into my sophomore year, I think I, we had a parking lot away from high school. Yeah. I think uh, looking back on it, probably fought eight or nine times just to establish my position into my sophomore year. And by then I, I was growing four inches a year. So at the end of my freshman year, I was up from 4'11 to 5'3. And then I was up to 5'7, you know, which was kind of average I wasn't the run again <clears throat> when I came out of high school at 6-3 so I literally went 16 inches in four years from 4-11 to six foot three in high school wow. and that and the first two years it was just somebody pick on you somebody do something say meet me after school and they'd form a circle you'd fight and they were short fights because the school could always see out the window into this parking lot mm -hmm. and they knew there was a fight and they'd call the police so you'd get a few blows in and you know yeah. and stuff like that but you didn't have to fight him again once you fought him once yeah. and that's what my dad constantly but and he wanted me to grow up and be a boxer he loved the golden gloves he had guys that would come and train me to box and it was never my heart's desire. I never had the desire, but I had to do that, you know, with boxing gloves on and everything as a little boy, because his dream was I would grow up and be in the golden gloves. And that's what he wanted for his son. Wow.
two things you said. One thing, it just clicked with me. You talk about you and your dad fought in a lot. You knew you had to fight in. Mm-hmm. Most of my fights were fighting out. Yeah. The fighting was still there. That's the generational trauma. That's the generational issue yeah. is fighting. Yeah. But mine was fighting out. For instance, I got out of situations that sometimes my mouth got me into fighting. For instance, yeah. in seventh grade, the very first fight I had was I had a, you know, a seventh grade girlfriend, right? You know, I don't even know if we said three words to each other the whole time we dated for a week, but she, we, we shared the same bus and we got on and he pushed her to get by because he was a big eighth grade wrestler. I was a seventh grader. I, I was, hadn't hit my growth spurt yet. I grew faster than you did uh, early on, but I hadn't hit that yet. And I pushed him in the back and pushed him down in the bus. And he, I think he fell because he tripped over the seat, not because I pushed him that hard. I remember this to this day. He said, you want to fight? And I said, yeah, let's fight. I'm good. You're not going to push her around. And I'm looking up to this guy. This guy is in my memory is stacked and probably for a small seventh grader an eighth grader that wrestled was stacked. I was a smaller skinny soccer player. <laughs> the bus we stop we fought at was the second stop, which is you had coach Atopa and then it worked down to that T intersection. And then you have where the green belts met and crossed the street then. And we yeah. walked down one of the green belts. That's where we went. But I remember our stopping first and I'll never forget this one probably because when we got to our stop, he gave me an out. He says, you want to get off? And I looked up and that's when all of our house stuff showed up in shipment. And you guys were, <laughs> you were putting all of our furniture in the house. Yeah. I could see you and mom. And I'm like, I'm so much trouble, but I stayed on the bus. I got my butt beat that day. Yep. I learned a few things. One, they would never consider me a coward. Yep. Two, he was different. I fought him two more times before he stopped. But, <laughs> but the third thing was, is, Man, when I got back to school that next morning, every girl wanted to hug me. It was <laughs> worth a butt whooping. All right. That, that was just, that was, that was something cool. And I think the second time he fought me was because he was jealous. But the thing was, is I fought out of situations, but I still fought. But the thing right. that you really shocked me on that really got me is that this desire to never be considered a coward. Yeah. Literally seeps from our every being as a stecker. Yeah. No matter what it is. And almost to the point where it's actually one of our weaknesses, not a strength. Yeah. Because what it does is it allows us to define a coward and in the moment, regardless of what the definition truly is. I've lost two friends based off of that word. Mm -hmm. Now, I stand by what I felt, but by using that word based off of my definition in the moment, because they wouldn't talk to me the way I wanted to be talked to, or they wouldn't stand with me when I wanted them to stand with me. Using right. that word, what it's done is it's my desire to never be one. I began yes. defining other men, not based off of the character within them, but whether right. I saw them in the moment as a coward or not. Right. What I saw in my, the eyes of my son in that moment. Right was his decision whether or not he was going to be a coward or not, whether he could explain it that way. And if not taken care of, generational trauma turns into generational abuse very quickly. Right. And it just clicked with me. I don't have much else to say about that because it's just now starting to click with me. This is going to be a fun talking point for you and I to kind of start working through of this issue of, of when does trauma start blending into abuse without us really realizing it. 
because that's where we truly are affected and are affecting generations to come without even knowing it. That's what makes my son look into my eyes, regardless if I've ever even been close to laying a hand on him and in yeah. that moment have fear, but stand there because if he can show me courage, if he can show me that he's yeah. not a coward in the moment, I'll yeah. never stand up to him like that again. Well, I think the order, Chad, really is the idea that you said, when does trauma become abuse? Right. I think it's really, when does anything malintended become abuse, mm. which leads to trauma? The trauma comes from the abuse. abuse not the, the abuse point. doesn't come from the trauma. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Now, trauma in a person's life as the perpetrator may lead to abuse in the next generation. Right. So the it, it begins with, I think in some cases, you know, this poor application of maybe a good intention. Yeah. My father's traumatic or the abuse, in a sense, did not come from an intention to hurt me. It came from an intention based on his life experience to be a better man. He mm -hmm. was going to form his son into being a better man. Right. Right. So it started off, but he had no training. He had nothing, no skill set to make it happen. So all he could go back to was his generational trauma, right. which originated with abuse because of his alcoholic family right. with that. So what starts it off in his past generationally, I think there are so many different defense mechanisms. There's all kinds of things, but it goes from that to abuse, the abuse leads to a continuation of either initiation of trauma or a continuation of trauma. That's beautiful. I love it. And that sets up us in beginning the process of ending this and, uh, and setting up how we're going to go into part three, the third episode of this. A lot of times, you know how we hear a lot, and I've said it a lot, you know, trust my, don't ever doubt my motives, right? Right. And I stopped saying that a few years back because this realization of just because your motives are right doesn't make your methods right. Doesn't oh make gosh. your methods okay. <laughs> it's like we're using yeah. like, you can't judge me off of my methods and the way I'm acting because my heart was right. Well, okay. no, you're still an idiot. Um, yeah. I might have to edit that part out. But this no, is no, thing, you don't. Is your dad, <laughs> if we look at the three generations, your yeah. dad, you just said your dad's motives were right. He wanted to make you into a better man. He didn't know how to, but his desire wasn't to just hate his son and beat him down. Your desires yeah. weren't to do anything like that. My desire yeah. to, to my son wasn't that, but that right. our motives might've been different in some circumstances in certain areas, but the motive was the same, but the methods are what we have to deal with because motive without correct method means nothing in the long run. It leads me to this, the last little piece that I want to quote from this article. And this is how they ended this. This is how the author ended this, which I, I think is just brilliant in the context of how the whole article was written, was that with generational trauma, she says, it's important to help the person think in terms of the identified problem being something that they were born into not necessarily a problem that they have created for themselves. Oh my gosh, yes. It rocked me. And when I think about that in the way that we set this up originally, that as the Trinity does, if I truly prefer you and prefer my son over myself, that makes that last statement healthy. 
It yes. doesn't become an excuse for me and my generation, but it helps me understand, have empathy for, and give honor to the generation that came before me and the generation that generations that follow me. Okay, Chad, one of the things that we talked about, and you and I've talked about this for many years, is that as Christians, very often we judge others by their actions and we judge ourselves by our good intentions. And what that means is, man, when people do something wrong, there is judgment on that. You, you messed up. You did it wrong. But for us, we have this, this hyper grace that says, but you know, man, I know I messed it up, but you know, my intentions were good. That's not really what I wanted to have happen. And so we ask people to judge us by our good intentions while we're very quick to judge others by their actual actions. And I think a lot of that is part of what you're talking about and where you're leading us on this generational trauma is that we've got to deal with our actions and we've got to start matching up our actions with our good intentions and quit apologizing and making an excuse by using our intentions as an excuse for bad behavior. Absolutely. That's beautiful, dad. Okay. Thank you for being here once again. I can't wait for the next episode. Thank you for listening to the second episode of three concerning the topic generational trauma within a season that we're discussing healing and all the different aspects of healing, whether it be physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual, or all of the above wrapped up into one. And it has been a, a blast. I hope you enjoyed episode two. Get ready for episode three. It's going to rock your world. Have a good one. And remember, in a world of groupthink, you can watch me, mock me, block me, or join me. But you can't silence me. Until next time, stay weathered, my friends. <laughs>